Welcome everyone to the Agency Accelerator Podcast, your turbocharged gateway to growth in the digital marketing landscape. I'm your host, Chris Quinn, the driving force behind Great Lakes Advisory. Our mission is simple but vital. Systemize and scale your digital agency. Whether you're an owner, marketer, or digital agency leader, this podcast is your roadmap to success. Let's kickstart the journey to accelerate your agency's growth. Today, we're joined by Sasha Burson, who is a phenomenal legal marketing expert. Sasha is the managing partner at Grow Law Firm, a Chicago-based digital marketing company that helps law firms get more clients. During today's episode, we explore outbound sales strategies for digital agencies, building a sales team at your agency, and unlocking the secrets of defining your agency's niche. So buckle up, listeners. Let's hit the gas and jump into our conversation with Sasha Burson. Thanks for coming on the episode today, Sasha. Yeah, Chris. Great to be here. I'd love to start with maybe the because some of the original origin stories of I know that you're you're running, you're the managing partner at Grow Law Firm, but this isn't necessarily your first digital agency that you've maybe started. Can you maybe kind of talk to me through about some of your your entire entrepreneurial journey leading up to this point? Yeah. So this brand was not started by me. I this is the first business that I actually acquired. I am a shareholder in a larger firm that's called Comrade Digital Marketing, and it owns the brand that's called Grow Law Firm. My entrepreneurial journey started when I was a kid back in the times of Soviet Union, right at its collapse, when I started my first business at the ripe age of 13. And I just have always, always, always worked for myself, except for a couple of years when I worked in retail after I came to the United States as a teenager. So my first brick and mortar business, I started back in the year of 2000. So it's been good 23 years. That was in financial services. The company was exceptionally successful. And I sold my 50% stake in that company to my at the time brilliant partner back in 2009 when the financial world was collapsing. We were actually growing by tremendous leaps and bounds. Then I went into consulting business and I did that for some time. And that was not quite as successful as I wanted it to be. So I got out of it and worked in a company that was my friend's company with an option to buy a third of the business, which I decided not to buy, but it was still a position of a president of the business. It was in custom software development and ultimately I didn't love it. I always wanted to go into marketing business. And the reason for that was in my very first business that I started in 2000, I quickly realized that the hardest thing to do for a small business to grow was to get more clients. And I realized that my personal fortune was so directly tied to performance of my marketing team. And most of the marketers that I've hired over the years, they just sucked so badly. Yet I saw competitors that were growing so much faster and they were doing so much better while I was super stressed out. I knew that there was a piece of the puzzle that was missing. And over time we figured it out and started growing really fast before I sold the business. But I never forgot just how difficult it was when my marketing department was horrid. And again, when I say marketing department, we tried to do marketing internally. And we hired numerous vendors that would do marketing for us. And they would be terrible, just absolutely terrible at marketing. So over time, I always thought about going into marketing business. That client that I had, and I helped him double his revenue in just one year. And he asked me, like, why don't we join forces and you buy a third of my company and we'll do this together. My condition for joining his firm was that we're going to pivot into marketing. 
That did not happen. We assumed that the client base that he had already built up, which were very sizable clients, most of them were nine-figure and ten-figure companies, so hundreds of millions of dollars to well over a billion. We figured that we would pivot and start selling them marketing services, which we learned the hard way that they didn't care because they had their own internal marketing departments. So that idea crashed and burned. But while I was working with my friend there, uh, someone else came up to me and offered me to buy a part of a marketing company. And I knew the co-founders and they were just incredibly honest people, which is so important. Their hearts were in the right place. They were honest and they were doing good work. And they were the co-founders of Comrade Digital Marketing. I was approached with the offer to buy a share in the business back in 2017 when they started in January, early January of 2018. And it's been a very happy journey for the last five and a half years. Not without its challenges, but it's been a very happy journey because it's just such a good team. And we're having fun while doing something that's incredibly meaningful for our clients, most of who are in professional services. And as the name of this brand entails, Grow a Law Firm works with law firms only. So we're having a lot of fun dealing, problem solving with uh, so many different challenges. But it's been growing really fast. Last year, it, it's a well-established brand. We're now over 15 years old. And year over year, our typical growth is between 40 and 50%. So it's a happy place for me to be. Yeah, that's awesome. Tell me a little bit about what's driving that growth now and maybe how maybe the business model has evolved over the last six or so years because grow law firm is kind of a an extension of comrade and it sounds like it's maybe maybe a, a further dive into maybe that niche of the kind of uh personal injury law or the other type of law that you're trying to kind of seek out and provide that um really focus your attention over on that right clientele so talk to me a little bit about how the business model has evolved over the last six years at Comrade and now kind of growing into Grow Law Firm. Yeah. So when I came into this business, the company was smaller. We're now at, I believe, 54 employees total, like our employees, not contractors, but actual employees. And our revenue has more than quadrupled in this five and a half years. When I came in, the guys who co-founded the company, they had technical backgrounds, wonderful people, but no real business background. So I looked at the company as I, as I was evaluating the opportunity to buy a sizable share in the business. And the way I approached it, I looked at it and said, what are the problems that I am seeing on the surface and somewhat beneath the surface that I know I can fix? And is it worth for me to go in here and try to fix them? And the answer was just a resounding yes. So I really wanted to do this. One of the challenges that I saw was that the company did not specialize in any specific industry. In fact, I tailored it up and it turned out that Comrade Brand had clients in 54 different industries. Imagine that you can try to productize your services all you want, but if you're working with 54 different industries and every client that comes to you is in a different stage of their journey, meaning they may be a startup and don't have a website and have never done any marketing, or they may have been in business for the last 40 years and have no idea what to do with marketing. And there are some companies that were five years old and had a website that was already fairly well optimized and anything and everything in between. So every time it was a custom tailored solution. Because of what it was, production process was incredibly challenging. 
incredible because every time it was custom, fully custom. So one of the solutions that I have envisioned from the beginning was specializing in one or two industries that were incredibly similar, where you can really productize the solution without templatizing it to the point where it becomes such a cookie cutter that it stops delivering the results to the clients. Our foremost principle is that we have to deliver substantial ROI to our clients. Most of our clients see return on investment between four to seven times on every dollar that they're investing in the first 12 to 18 months. It is the guiding principle. If we do not see it, more often than not, we'll come to the client and tell them, here's why we're failing and we should be fired. We have those conversations. They don't happen very often, but they do happen. You and I have worked together in the past. I want to provide this disclosure. You and I have worked in the past and we did not succeed. And ultimately, we needed to be fired. And, but when we started out, before we actually hired us, I told you that what you do is so incredibly rare that the market may not actually know of this solution and they may not be looking for it. So there was that full disclaimer. I use that disclaimer with every single prospect. We usually go in when our confidence level is up here and only then we are actually offering them service or we'll provide them with a disclosure that, hey, this is probably not going to work. And here's why we actually give people data. So going back to pivoting, uh, I knew that I wanted to pivot into something that was more scalable. Working with 54 industries is not scalable unless you have major dollars behind you. Like your balance sheet has so much money that you can hire tens and tens and tens of salespeople and they will call on everyone and you're going to provide cookie cutter solutions, which we do not want to do. Think, and I'm not knocking on any of those providers, but like reach local and other brands that, that are like Reach Local, right? What they do is fast and easy. They charge very little money. And from what I know, from what I know, their clients are unlikely to uh, brag about sizable results. Because everything is cookie cutter. And it makes sense. But if you are, for example, most of our clients are law firms. If you're a law firm, cookie cutter solution ain't going to cut it, pun intended. It's just not going to work. So our intentional pivot was to focus on one industry or two industries where the services would be incredibly similar and streamline product production processes as much as possible. We applied certain criteria that I'm not at liberty. Well, I do not want to disclose here how we decided to work with attorneys. Um, there were other industries that we have entered into and decided to exit because of certain challenges associated with them. That is not to say that working with law firms is not challenging. I find that marketing for law firms is the most cluttered industry that there is, meaning that there are so many, unbelievable number of marketing companies that want to participate in that market. There are two 800-pound gorillas and everybody else is really small, really small. It's incredibly difficult to break in, in there. We're more sizable than many other marketing companies worth about $5 million in annual revenue. So we can do a lot more than many of our competitors. If I was starting out fresh again, I don't know if I would go into this arena just again because of how incredibly competitive it is. But I am a full believer that if you are going to provide professional services in any arena, you shouldn't be everything for everyone you should really niche down. And when I say you should really niche down, it should be vertical and horizontal specialization, meaning you pick an industry or two and you decide on what services that you provide. 
you see so many marketing companies that will offer, oh, do you do web design and development? Of course. Pay-per-click advertising? For sure. SEO? Definitely. Social media? Of course. Email marketing? Obviously. You're not good at any of those things. You pick something and you decide what you're going to be an expert in and you just grind. You just grind and, and, and have a lot of patience because I've been here for five and a half years now. I thought we would be double, at least double of where we are today and we're not. And although I am enjoying this journey, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. You brought up something really interesting. I think it's a really helpful little nugget of insight was that with that niching that I think you you previously mentioned at Comrade serving, I think when you looked at it, maybe 54 different industries. And so you're basically 54 different type of business models, trends, keywords, all like all these different approaches to being able to serve uh, either SEO, paid media, or any of their marketing needs. And now focusing instead on maybe one, two, maybe three or so uh, industries that are maybe very comparable in nature has really allowed you to really reduce and make it actually easier to produce and actually serve your customers. But at the same time, it's really important that it's not templatized and so that it's not necessarily cookie cutter to allow you to be able to stand out. So talk to me a little bit about how the production has maybe changed from Comrade, where we're serving 54, to maybe at Grow Law Firm, where we're only serving really grow, or I'm sorry, we're only really serving legal services, and how you've been able to stand out in maybe a crowded legal marketing space. So, as far as production goes, I'm not an expert on all production processes here because that is the site that is managed by my partner. We have very clear delineation of duties. So if you focus on production side, I focus on marketing and sales side. But I can tell you because he and I have worked on optimization of so many processes, the more niche down we were, we became, the easier production became. Although what we're doing is very complex, and I know that we do it better than so many other marketing companies, it's still gotten easier just because of the focus. Now, that is, with that said, we still have plenty of clients that are not in the legal field. Comrade Brown is still a generalist, but we're very, very picky as to who it is that we're going to work with. So today, we're not onboarding e-commerce companies. We have quite a few e-commerce clients that we refer to as legacy clients. We've had them for years. We have helped them grow significantly, like very significantly. Some of our clients are, I can tell you my favorite client, I will not drop their name, but when they came to us, their revenue was 13 times smaller than what it is today. It's a ridiculous growth over a course of like six years, if I'm not mistaken. So we love them and we continue to serve them. But if a similar client came to us today, we would turn them away because that is not the area that we're, where we want to expand. So you have to be very gutsy to turn away business. It's hard, especially when you're small. Like, and I consider anything that's under 10 million, that's a really small business. So it's hard to turn them away, but it's just a decision that you make and you just stick to it. Uh, production processes today, all clients that we're onboarding are in service businesses and they serve consumers rather than businesses. That's today. Like if you asked me this question a year ago, we still had quite a few B2B clients that we would onboard. Today we don't. 
Today, they're all B2C and service providers. Just focusing on that business model already substantially simplified production processes. Whether it's websites or pay-per-click or SEO, just having that one business model that you're working with really simplified things. The more you were going to niche down or the fewer clients that were going to onboard that are not law firms, the more streamlined we're going to become. I also believe that with our focus on quality, the higher the quality of results we're going to continue to deliver to our clients. Just because once again, once you're an expert in one thing, and we're expert in one thing, which is search marketing. Yes, it entails website design and development. Yes, it entails pay-per-click advertising, including LSAs. Yes, it entails SEO, which is incredibly complex if you do it right, but it still is under that one umbrella. Um, and by the way, I don't think that digital marketing is an umbrella. It's not an umbrella. It's a huge combination of so many different things. So, so there's that. As far as, so we talked about production process and as far as marketing and sales. Marketing and selling has also become easier to an extent, and then we'll talk about that caveat where like, we are still struggling tremendously. Marketing and selling has become a lot easier once you focus on one industry and one industry only, because now everything is done with that one intent. You can't focus on 54 industries when it comes to marketing and selling. It just doesn't work. So we're very focused on this one industry. So everything that we do, conferences that we attend, content that we create, we run a podcast for the last seven months. Everything that we do is for law firm owners. And all we talk about is growth strategies and tactics for law firm owners, how to achieve them, what works and what doesn't work. It's a lot easier. Here's what, and we've talked about this before we hit the record button. Here's what's not easy. So all of our business comes to us inbound. For the last seven months, we have tried and will continue to try to do outbound. That shit's hard. Like downright hard. Like the hardest thing that I've done here over the last five and a half years is working on outbound. Wow, is that so incredibly difficult. So anybody who wants to build an outbound team first, and this is just some advice from like the front lines. You have to have a lot of courage and you have to have a very decent budget. Go for it. At some point, it should start producing ROI. Go for it just... We talk to experts, like we have expert advisors in that space, and they tell us that it takes about a year to dial in your processes. Not overnight, not a month, not a quarter, not six months, a year. Like, holy shit, is that difficult. It takes 10 to 14 touch points to have a meaningful engagement with the prospect. Not close them. Have a meaningful engagement with the prospect. Holy shit, it's so hard. Invest heavily into technology. We haven't. But invest heavily into technology and set it up just right. Or you're going to be doing a lot of things manually and it will slow your sales team so much you yourself as a leader are going to hate it because you're going to see so much money coming out of the company and little to nothing coming in. It's hard. Now, tell me, I know I understand that you've dealt with some challenges with kind of outbound sales, but I guess, were you, and I don't think you were doing very much outbound at Comrade, correct? It's been, it was pretty much 100% inbound. So 
Tell me a little bit about kind of where some of those challenges are at. Are they more on the people side? Is it more on being able to close? Is it more about kind of getting those conversations or kind of where's maybe the the biggest roadblock that you see for kind of agencies that are trying to employ more of an outbound strategy? And obviously, a lot of times, most agencies have some type of inbound component, but if they're trying to go down the outbound route, where are some of the biggest hurdles that you might foresee, uh, foresee for them? So it's not one hurdle or two or three. It's a lot of different hurdles. So first of all, finding the right people, we have the tenacity to make a lot of phone calls, send out a lot of emails every single day is not easy. It's not. They have to be really good on the phone. It's a bit of an acting job because you have to be able to clearly deliver a message. You need to be able to break through the gatekeeper. Most of the people we call on have a gatekeeper and then talk to the decision maker and deliver a very concise and very clear message. It takes a special kind of person to be able to do that. And once you find that very special person, you need to be able to train them very, very well. Because just having a skill does not equal success. Unless they have done outbound sales and have been incredibly successful somewhere else, which we haven't been able to find those salespeople. And when I say those salespeople, I'm talking about like we haven't been able to find salespeople who worked in a marketing company that is similar to us that sold into a similar market, let alone the same market. Couldn't find those. We looked. We tried to poach. If it's a good company, there is no poaching. Like if you can spend $200,000 a year on them, you could probably poach them. But if you can't, and we can't, there's no poaching. Because it's a good company, why would they leave? If it's a bad company, you don't want them. So starts with good, with the right type of person and then a lot of training for that person and then a lot of calling and emailing, hearing a lot of no's just connecting with the decision makers. Industry standard is that you're going to call, let's say on 500 people, your goal is to connect with 15% of them, 75. It doesn't take a single phone call to connect with 75 people. You can't expect that you're going to dial 500 times and you're going to take to 75, talk to 75 decision makers. You may have to call those 500 people 10 to 14 times to talk to 75 of them. You have to build relationships with them, not try to sell them, but you have to try to build relationships with them. So it is a freaking process and you better be ready to invest into this thing, not for a month or a quarter or two quarters, but like look at the timeline of at least 12 months before you know whether this is going to take, catch significant traction, not a one-off client here and there, but significant traction like where it becomes predictable revenue from your sales department. That said, I am still so sold on the idea of continuing the building up the momentum. Although seven months in, things are not going incredibly well. But what else is there? Like we're really good at inbound, but we're topping out. There's a limit to how many attorneys or any other industry is looking for a marketing company. So if you want to like take things or speed things up rather, make it a more controllable growth, faster growth, 
40, don't get me wrong, 40, 60% growth a year is wonderful. And it's just not enough for me. I mean, you're growth hungry. Now, what are you, what are some of those drivers or some of those um, kind of parts of the outbound strategy that maybe have changed from when you first started it? It sounds like you've been doing this outbound strategy, was it six, seven months now? Seven months. And it's I, October. I, We're recording the middle of March, uh, middle of May. Yeah. And so I guess, how has that outbound strategy changed or evolved? Has it been pretty much same strategy from the gate? Here's kind of the ICP, here's the numbers, or here's the, uh, the, the law firms that we want to call on. You need to kind of figure it out or kind of, have we chosen, I'm curious if there's maybe been a, a difference or you've maybe some learning experiences that you might be able to share with our audience today. Yeah. So the strategy doesn't change, right? It's a strategy. The strategy is we want to take a market share of this size per year, or we want to add this many new clients per salesperson per year, and they're going to do a reach out to this big of a list, and they're going to connect with so many people, and they're going to follow up with that many people, and some of those people are going to convert, and over a year, we should get X. We're not going to get X. We've been at it for seven months. We're not going to get anywhere near that X. So what has changed dramatically is, and this happens to me quite often when I do something that's kind of new to me and outbound is very new to me, is sometime during the process, no matter how much studying I have done upfront, I realized what an idiot I was just a couple of months and sometimes a couple of weeks before. So what has changed dramatically is my understanding of just how complex the process is it's not just making phone calls, right? But how complex the process is of turning skilled salespeople into people who can actually close, bring in the business. How much training is required? How many objections they're dealing with? How to deal with those objections effectively and what it really takes to get another client. I now have a set of manuals with a whole bunch of videos, which you are responsible, you, Chris, are responsible for teaching me how to do those. For every objection, there's a video that explains like how to deal with it. For every opening statement, there's a recording that like tells them what to say, how to deal with a gatekeeper, how to deal with a potential new client what to say and how to say it, because how you say it matters a lot. It's not just about blurting out a message. It's how you say it. Because you can say exact same thing with a 20% variance, just 20%. And that 20% variance will be the difference between getting somebody to say, so what, or getting somebody to say, how do you do that? And if they say, so what, this is like, they don't actually say it, but it's a statement of indifference. They would say, I'm not interested. Versus, hmm, how do you do that? You can say exact same thing, but the variance in your words is 20%, hence no-go. It took a lot of experimentation to get to the point where now there is an okay percentage of people, potential new clients who are saying, 
well, how do you do that? Now, do you have any maybe strategy and maybe this is more specific for more higher level type of industries out there that might be have a gatekeeper? What are some of the strategies or some of the approaches to that you've seen that are successful in being able to break through and uh, pass the gatekeeper and ultimately to the decision maker that you'd want to talk to? That I actually am not willing to share. I spent a lot of time, energy, and money developing that. Okay. That is, and, and the thing is, um, this industry, if you share something and people actually like pick up on it, it will be replicated so fast. And it, pardon my French, it fucks everything up for everybody. Mm-hmm. You go from something working to something non-working like this. So specific messaging like is something that I'm definitely unwilling to share it for the reason that like again we, we we are all copycats. Yeah, no, I get it. But then I guess help me better understand then if there if we do have kind of a proven approach to kind of breaking through or we've got we found some success in a framework for breaking through from the gatekeeper to the decision maker. Tell me about where we're getting stuck from the remainder of the outbound strategy. And you asked me that same question, but but slightly different. I'm not I'm not sure I understood what you're asking. I think what we're, we're really focusing in on is that if it's not, I guess, f- comparing to the inbound strategy, we we do have a lot of success. We have kind of grown the firm. We are able to successfully close, but maybe with an outbound strategy. Maybe they don't really know about you very much, or they've never heard of Grow Law Firm or your agency today. And it sounds like you do you you are employing an outbound strategy, but you're able to break through the gatekeeper, but we're getting stuck during the sales process. And so I'm hoping to kind of better understand, or maybe I think our audience would love to kind of learn of like what are some of the challenges that maybe you can proactively maybe focus in on or try to be able to get ahead of to be able to ultimately find some success within in building out an outbound strategy, whether or not this is maybe adding in LinkedIn or maybe some email messaging, or maybe it is kind of growing it kind of locally. I'm just curious if you have any experience shares of what are some of the issues that might, that maybe an outbound rep might come across during that sales process compared to maybe an inbound sales process? Well, from what I've seen so far on our end and from numerous webinars that I attended for the industry, like business development representatives, people who are calling outbound, everything that I've seen comes down to this. Prepare to freaking grind. There's no silver bullet there at all. It used to be years ago that it took five to seven touch points to get a meaningful engagement with the process, uh, with the prospect years ago. Today, depending on who you listen to, it's anywhere between 10 to 18 meaningful touch, po- uh, touch points. And this, I'm not talking about sending out cold emails. Like, forget about that. I'm talking about a mix of emails, LinkedIn messages, if it's suitable for the industry, it's not suitable for every industry, and calls. So you're not going to get away with like one phone call and 15 automated emails. Hasn't been our experience. Hasn't been the experience of the people who are running webinars who are actually selling BDR solutions, 
like technology and or services, they're like, that's not what it takes. I was at a webinar with my sales team. Excuse me. Three, four weeks ago, the guy on the call was a BDR, professional BDR. He's like, I dial 2,000 times a week. Like, let that sink in. Predictive dialer, 400 dials a day. He doesn't actually, like, dial the phone. He doesn't select a person to call. He has a predictive dialer that automates the process, but it rings 400 phone numbers per day. He is selling SaaS. It's a B2B SaaS. 2,000 calls a week. So when they say like prepare for a grind, like nobody's going to, in, in our industry, in the marketing industry, I doubt anybody's going to like dial 400 times a day. But it's, I can tell you from experience, it's not 70 calls a day and it's not 80 calls a day. It's a lot of calls every day. It's a lot of conversations with gatekeepers and it's the target. 15% of people on my call list are going to have a conversation with me at one point or another. Some of those people are in the market today for our services. Some of those people will be in the market in the next three to 12 months. Some of those people are not going to be in the market in three to 12 months, but they're willing to have the conversation. Some of those people will never have a conversation with me. That, like your, your, uh, your list is going to break down into those segments. Now, during your outbound strategy, and I guess remind me again, what, what, what do you have any use? I believe you use a CRM tool, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, HubSpot. So now with with HubSpot, are you doing any type of kind of like workflows or automations to be able to kind of notify when you're maybe reaching out to maybe more engaged contacts? Maybe talk to me a little bit about that during an outbound process. Yeah, so far we've seen very low engagement. So it notifies us when somebody opens emails. So we know. But again, just because they open an email doesn't mean that they're really engaged. Just because they click through something in the email doesn't really mean that they're engaged. They may be stuck on hold. They may be are waiting for a meeting to, be, to begin. They may be are waiting for a client to come to their office and they're just going through their email. So I do not mean to sound very negative, actually. Like I know it's not coming through my words, but I'm very positive and I'm very, very vested into this thing and invested. We've already put a lot of time, energy, and money into this because I believe that at some point, this will start producing very sizable results. The reason why I'm like so on this topic, because first of all, I've been working on it for quite some time now and everything else in our business is humming along quite nicely. Like inbound, not a problem. Production process, really good. Technology, we have an amazing team that's been with us for years, all in-house. We don't outsource. They're really good. They can build phenomenal tools. We just rolled something out for the, for the legal industry that nobody else has. It's a lead generation tool. You can run like a full report on the state of your marketing affairs on your law firm through our website. Ain't nobody got it in the industry. 
took some time and a lot of hours to build a lot of skillful people. We got it. We can build really cool things. The knot that we haven't cracked yet is like this outbound. So I'm like so on it. But if somebody is listening or watching this and they're running a marketing company and they are ambitious, it's only a matter of time until you're going to come to the same crossroads as we did. And you'll be like, do I continue with this respectable but slow growth? Because to me, 40, 60% is kind of slow. Like, like I want to double every year. But I can't do it with inbound. I have statistics to prove that I cannot do it with inbound. Years of stats show me that I can't do it with inbound. This is why when you look at like really large players in the marketplace, like Scorpion Marketing, they're the 800-pound gorilla in this space. They have a very large outbound sales team. Why? Because that's how you get to 600 or whatever number of hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue that they did. They doubled eight years in a row. That did not happen with inbound. There's no way. I know I got data to prove it. It's like almost impossible. It, nothing is impossible, but it's almost impossible. So if you're watching this and you're like $500,000 in revenue, you may be thinking like, I wish I had your problems. I get it. Been there and done that. Well, I bought into Comrade when it was over a million. Uh, but if you're at like two, three million and you're like, things are humming along, but I wish we would grow faster. You're going to be dealing with this shit for sure. And by the way, we have hired external companies to do business development for us who would do this dial, dialing and smiling. Really shitty result. And we have now done it in-house for seven months. Nothing to brag about yet, but but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I am absolutely certain of it. I know plenty of SaaS companies that make it big. By the way, SaaS companies, that's it. It's not inbound. They all have Salesforce. Marketing companies, those that got big, they either have been in business for decades and we've only been in business for 15 years, or they have done this. Scorpion has been around for 23 years. They started in 2000 or 2001. I know they're nearing billion dollars in revenue. It's not through inbound. Fun fact, HubSpot, that coined the term inbound, has, I don't know if they still have it, but they had a very sizable outbound sales team. Huge. Google did direct mail and dialed and smiled. No, I, uh, I mean, we also, you employ an outbound strategy and, uh, it is a trap. It's a really tough code to crack, but once yeah. you do crack it, it can really prove, um, some incredible results. Um, I do want to kind of bring us to a close with just a final three questions, but I know, I mean, you're kind of at, uh, mostly a grow law firm, but you've got, it's kind of an extension of comrades. So I'll ask this kind of for both of them, but what are you most proud of? at Grow Law Firm and Comrade right now? I don't know if I'm proud of this, but I'm grateful for the people on our team and I'm grateful for our clients. We have an unwritten policy that is no assholes allowed. Our people are really nice. So even when things are difficult, 
it's always such a pleasure to see them. Although I am mostly remote, I have been at the office like three times in the last six months. And I live in the vicinity. I'm only 27 miles away, but traffic is so crappy in Chicago that I just, I just refuse to spend two and a half hours a day driving. It's wasted time. I do listen to podcasts and I listen to audiobooks when I'm jogging or walking, but like, no, I'm not doing that for two and a half hours a day. So our people are wonderful. Every single month when our account managers run a performance meeting every single month without a fail, they meet with clients and they run performance review meetings. And at the end of each meeting, they ask customer service related questions. One of the questions that they ask is on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate my performance? Meaning like them, the account manager. And it is so rare. I take it back. I don't think I've ever seen a score below eight. Because like our clients love our account managers and the production team. We love them. Like I don't see them very often because I'm not on the production side, but they're just really nice people who really know what they're doing. Very high level of expertise. So I am most grateful for the people on this team. And to I cannot attribute that to me. I can attribute it to my partner. He's just a really good person. If it wasn't for him, I don't think we would have like that nice of a group of people. I am more of a, like a hardcore ball buster. Let's go get shit done. And he's just a really warm guy. Um, and what is maybe one impactful initiative that you're currently working on today to accelerate your agency's growth? That, the outbound sales. Like our inbound, we launched Grow Law Firm website a year ago. Like you would not believe our rankings, organic rankings. Like our SEO team is phenomenal. Like they can make things happen. And a year is not a long time for SEO. Like I am, they consistently surprise me. Like, like how good they are. And I consistently surprise me how bad I am without Bob. And finally, we're going to share all of your information in the show notes uh, today, but where can our listeners find you? And is there anything else that you want to share with our audience today to kind of bring us to a close? Yeah. Um, everything that I've shared so far on this podcast, I, I firmly believe in everything that they said. I think it's a wonderful industry. I think there are a lot of really good players. As is the case with most other businesses, vast majority of marketing companies are really small. Uh, there is a book called The Thinking of Me, uh, the the Magic of Thinking Big. Think big. Think big. It's really hard to operate a million dollar business. I know it. I've done it three times, four times. It's hard. Think bigger and think faster. There's an amazing book that came out just a couple of weeks ago titled 10x is easier than 2x. Dan uh, Sullivan, the founder of Strategic Coach, is the co-author of the book. I highly recommend it to anyone. It, and they really dial in like why it's so much easier to achieve 10x than 2x. I can tell you from experience, I know a lot of marketing, mar marketing company owners. They're really focused on 2x. And it makes it super hard. 
like 2x is super hard. We, we 4x this business in five years. Hasn't been easy. The more I focus on 10x, the easier it gets. It's not easy. But uh, if you're listening to this and your marketing company is 500,000, a million, million and a half, two, two and a half million, like start focusing on like how do I go from million and a half to 15 million? Strip away everything that you do that doesn't contribute to that growth and just focus on it. And just remember, it's not going to take a year and it's probably not going to take five years. Give yourself plenty of time. Yeah, but success is there. It's a great industry to be in. Success is there. Well, thank you, Sastra. Uh, really appreciate all of the incredible insight uh, that you shared uh, in today's episode and just for taking the overall time. So uh, thank you again, Sasha. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Awesome. Take care. That's a wrap on another episode of the Agency Accelerator Podcast. A big thank you to our stellar guests for sharing their wealth of insights. Be sure to check out our show notes for helpful resources. And if you found value in today's episodes, please share it within your circles and make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform and join our channel on YouTube. We're always interested to hear your feedback and suggestions, so feel free to reach out to us on social media or via email. Until next time, keep your foot on the gas, keep accelerating.